follow your heart and learn to say no. I have said more no's than I have said yes, but the no's have given me the best time because another door opened. Life is not a threat, it's a challenge. Welcome to the Curiosity Shire, where we uncover the stories behind ordinary people living extraordinary adventures. Our mission is to help you discover your own adventure, find the courage to pursue it, and ultimately live a life filled with purpose and satisfaction. Hey, it is Seth again, host of the Curiosity Shire podcast. In this episode, I get to talk with a retired captain from Scandinavian Airlines. On December 27, 1991, Stefan Rasmussen was piloting an MD-81 out of Stockholm, Sweden, when both engines failed. Having just taken off seconds ago and with thick clouds surrounding him, he had no option but to prepare for a crash landing. As they broke out of the low cloud base, he saw an opening in the forest and flew the plane towards the field. His piloting skills saved the lives of all 129 people on board that flight. I've been a prophet, a poet, a pilot, a poet, a pawn, and a king. I've been up and down. As a student pilot, I'm very interested in learning about aviation incidents and how they can be avoided. After hearing Stefan's story, I reached out and he graciously agreed to talk with me about the experience. However, I knew that a heroic few seconds of skillful actions don't happen by luck, so I wanted to hear more of his story. Come to find out, saving the lives of 129 people on that cold winter's day was only the tip of the iceberg for Stefan. In today's episode, he shares the story of how he became a pilot, some of the adventurous flying he's been able to do, and how his parents' values became the foundation for how he lives his life. This is part one of a two-part series. In our next episode, he'll share the SAS Flight 751 incident from his own perspective and discuss how aviation safety has and still can be improved. Unfortunately, Stefan did not return to flying after the incident for reasons we discuss in the next episode. This didn't stop him from living a full life, however. He became active in politics for a few years, published a couple books, and also enjoyed his lifelong passion of music. He has recorded several songs which you can listen to on Spotify, including That's Life by best-selling music artist Frank Sinatra. In a big ball, and then I'll die bye bye. I'm raised by parents who have learned the hard way about life. My mom, she had tuberculosis when she was young. It was before the Second World War, and she lost a lot of friends. So she learned the hard way that life is not like just things who should be done. Life is something you should take and you should taste the, the full scale of. And my, my dad, he had his own opinion of many things. Uh, he was out of farmer family, but he was the only one who left farming and went into town. 
and he was uh, drafted as uh, a soldier the 8th and 9th of April 1945. And uh, why I think that date is because Denmark were occupied by the Germans the 9th of April 1940. And from the first day, he didn't accept the uh, occupation by the Germans. So, so he was in the um, uh, resistance for many years. And in the beginning in Denmark, uh, the resistance people, they were hated because uh, the, our government at that time, they make a corporation politics with the German, with Hitler. So those who were, were against them, they made sabotage. And so they were like, they were handled like terrorists. So you have to keep your, your mouth shut and you have to be exact who you choose as friend or not friend. And uh, unfortunately, uh, in 1943, in the summer, he was taken by the Gestapo and he was put into a concentration camp. So in, in a young age, uh, in middle 20s, he was uh, one and a half hour, uh, one and a half year in concentration camp Sachsenhausen. And why I say that is that those two people, they have learned, as I started in the beginning, they have learned life the hard way. But I have learned later that if you learn things the hard way, you really learn things. So uh, I often say, you know, when the weather is pissed, <laughs> it's really bad weather. You should be happy for that because bad weather gives you the happiness of the day when the sun is shining. So I have learned a philosophy that nothing are just straight. Everything have to have its counter things. And the more you have had the bad things, the more you can be happy of the good things. So by not being afraid of, of going into new challenges or even things you fear, you learn from those things. And it will it'll raise your capability of evaluating every moment. And evaluating every moment is what gives you tears and laughter, smile. And that's what life is about. So that has been my philosophy since I was a, a little kid. And I have I've never changed it. I've used it all the way through. Now I'm becoming 75. And I can still see when things are really bad. I can st still see the light at the end of the tunnel. You can always see into the future and you know that the good times are coming back because you've experienced that. A little uh, philosophical, I have to correct you because the future doesn't exist. Mm. It becomes now and when it has become now, it's history. But it doesn't exist. And therefore, if you want to do something in the future, you have to do it now. <laughs> I like that. That's such a subtle like twist, but it makes such a difference. And I mean, that's the philosophy you've lived by, which has led you to do so many incredible things. It is because if you are grown up in that way, you, you let yourself have opportunities. I divide the world up in two kind, different kind of people. Those who say, ooh, and those who say, ah, those who say, ooh, 
They're scared of everything. They can even they can even make their own thoughts about what the future even it doesn't exist, and they don't know what in the hell will happen the next moment. And those people who are the aha, when something comes up which they haven't thought about, the future becomes now reality. They say, okay, new possibilities, new ways, and that gives opportunity. And I have found out that there are more opportunities than you can imagine if you're yeah. open-minded for the next moment. Yeah, that is that is very true. And, and you have found that. I'd kind of like to dig into your life story now. I know one of the one of the big things that kind of launched your aviation career was you joined the Air Force. Was that inspired by your dad or how did that how did that come about? <laughs> Not really. Even he was interested in uh, in aviation. He built an uh, a glider plane before the war with some uh, uh, fellows, but that was taken by the Germans. So uh, so that was that was it. Man. No, when I was uh, when I was in the kid, uh, I was a kid. I went to school. I was a, I was a little uh, I was a little difficult to control. <laughs> <laughs> if uh, <clears throat> you know today they have diagnosis all kind of letters. Some people they say, if I have lived today, I will have almost the whole alphabet uh, plus Excel Excel. <laughs> So uh, I did a lot of things there, and uh, and they had to uh, put me in another school and everything. But I succeeded to finish my school. After that, I went into uh, becoming an electrician, four years, and then I went into uh, to a higher degree uh, engineering and so on. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly one day, uh, I ran into one of the other Hampson's uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the block where we were living. And he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm at the school out in Aarhus. Is that fun? No. <laughs> I said, no. I have a job for you. And he told me what it was. And I said, that sounds interesting. This was Friday evening. Monday, I was jumping on a bus. And I went down to my new workplace which was tourist guide in Europe. It was uh, back in uh, 68, 69. Mm-hmm. I went on a bus with uh, 40 passengers on, a chauffeur and I, and we went down to Southern Europe or to Yugoslavia. It was on the other side of the Iron Curtain at that time. Uh, Venetia, Vienna, so. And I worked with that company, which was called Terrible Travels, one of the biggest companies in Scandinavia, driven by a, a priest. <laughs> it was really a, a, a really big thing. And I worked there for two and a half years. Then, there, then the, uh, the military, they, they wrote a letter to me and they said, Steve or Stefan, you have to uh, uh, be enlisted because we have, we have to be enlisted in Denmark. And one of my good friends, he said, Stephen, 
why don't you go in and take your old education up and become a instrumental uh, electrician on aircraft? I thought it was a good idea. So in, I, I applied for that and I became that and I succeeded. And I went up flying uh, the F-104, or not flying, uh, repairing the F-104 in one of our bases here in, uh, in the Air Force. I was up there in Alberg and I was uh, working uh, at their shop where we, where we make the instrument electrician things. Mm-hmm. And they called, they called it, had a, they had a temporary fold on one of the aircraft, a 104 uh, Starfighter. And it was a, a two-seated, and um, I was invited out to look at it, and uh, I asked the pilot a lot, and he looked at me and said, wouldn't it be a lot easier if you went up in backseat, and then we try to to take a trip, and then we can see if we can if we can reconstruct the, the failure. Happy me, I said, yes, I like that. <laughs> and we went up there, and uh, just after liftoff, I knew exactly what was wrong with the aircraft, and I told him, and I and I said to myself, "Okay, he's gonna go back and and land this thing again." But he didn't. He said, "You wanna join a ride?" And I said, "Yes." And then he flew like the swallows. He took that aircraft and he just went out over the North Sea. So low that I could look up at the at the, at the ships, and uh, he passed them very fast, and then he pulled it straight up in the in the in the sky, all the way up where the sky is not blue but is dark blue. And when you looked out to the side, you can see that, my goodness, the the earth is not flat; it is round. <laughs> up there I got an idea I said Stefan your future is going to be in the air that's where I took the decision I went down to the um, officer uh, in charge I said I like and have an application for being a pilot he gave me one I wrote it and then the whole thing rolled I went down to the selections uh, where they picked them out. We have a very strong or, or very uh, strict. Yeah, and we have a strict selection because Denmark is a is a small country, and uh, educating a military pilot cost at that time uh, four to five million Danish crowns. So we have also we have always had a very strict selections so we were we were sure that those who we sent on to uh, pilot training in in United States or in Canada that they succeeded and mostly in the top of the class that gave us a lot of respect as nation with our NATO allied and so so we were I think we were about thousand who were to, uh, to the evaluation during a period. And out of those that picked 50. Oh my goodness. Those 50, they took into a, to a camp uh, in, in Denmark, a, a small base where we flew the chipmunk, the Havilland chipmunk. 
and they evaluated us uh, in in their skill. A, a pilot is not what some people think a superman. No, no. A pilot is a combination of a lot of things. It is multitasking. It is low stress um, level. It is it is a lot of things. Why I know that is because I later were in the uh, team of e- evaluating and choosing pilots. So so there's a lot of thing com- uh, uh, things you 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 go after. So you got to see both sides of it. Yeah, yeah, you got yeah. evaluated and then you you were yeah, on the other side. Later, later. But uh, after uh, those two two or three months down there, we were ten who were taking into the uh, to the colonel. He gave us the ticket, and my ticket uh, said Phoenix, Arizona, Williams Air Force Base. Happy me. I went over there, and I had, I must say, the best time in my life. I had, I, I met some fantastic friends. We were a class there, 7401. Uh, we, were, we were about 60 in the class. Divided up in two flights. Uh, I went into a rain dance flight, 30 students, pilots, most of them Americans, uh, few foreigners. But we were also uh, we were also put on stress from day one. Because day one when we were there and we were sitting in the, the big room, the commander he came in and he looked over there and he asked around and so on and so on. Some were coming up for from the Air Force Academy up in Colorado, and other were coming other places from. So, and then he said, uh, uh, and we also have some foreign students here. We have from Iran and Irania, and so and so and so. And then he looked down at uh, at me and another guy who was in my class. I said, and then we have two Danes. And then he addressed the Americans and he said, watch them, because then they're going to beat you. <laughs> so we were sitting there, my goodness, what a start. But uh, we had, we really had a good uh, time. And I still, I'm still very, very close to my class and my friends. I, we are in contact. I've been over there. And they have been over here and so on. And it is, that was friends for, for a lifetime. And then they're all, all there. We learned to to handle a jet aircraft. First, the uh, the, uh, the tweet is these small T 37, are the only unit in the world who could convert uh, jet fuel into total noise. <laughs> 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 Two engines, uh, so. And then, uh, of course, in the last half year, the T-38 Northrop, which was absolutely the best aircraft I ever flown. I, I, I love that aircraft. I love that aircraft. You can do everything with it. At that time, you were allowed to do everything. And that was, that was fun. That was really fun. And we had some damn good instructors. They were, they were people with their experience most of them have been uh, on service in Vietnam mm. so they knew how to f- fly an aircraft they knew how to to use it 
all the way out in the envelope. When you have a tool, the most important thing is to learn to use it all the way out in the in the corners. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, you never get out there. But if you learn in the corners, you are you are a lot more confident in the middle. And here I have to to take a, a look back to what I said before, the life. If you have been out in the corner, you're a lot more comfortable in the in the middle. So so you have to give yourself a chance to learn the corner of life. And and that's what that's what grows adventures and people who who are, who go out uh, on path in the wood where no one had gone before. Yeah. It's a, it's a very good thing. Scientists and everything are, are coming from that uh, way of thinking. And without that, without that, we will all be uh, running on the same road. And, and uh, it is boring. It is really boring. And we won't learn any, anybody anything, even uh, not even ourselves. Yeah. But uh, <clears throat> finished United States. I graduated, graduated in the top of the, the class. I even got a honorary citizen of Arizona. <laughs> wow. Very funny. Yeah, by the governor. <laughs> I had also the opportunity to make some speeches out there, over there, which I coordinated with our embassy. It was not speeches, speeches about, um, about aviation. It was speeches... How to travel in Europe, starting from destination Copenhagen. So, because when you are uh, when you are a citizen, when you are you, I have also always learned that you represent your own country, like you do as as citizen of your country. Mm-hmm. Um, when you are out of your country, then you are an ambassador. Yeah, people they. People they uh, look at you and they they see okay so and so and get their opinion about that so so I I did that but um, I finished and um, I returned to Denmark went into the training flight here uh, I usually uh, make jokes with it because the training flight uh, what do you do there you have learned to fly yeah I said telling me my American friend, friends but we we have to make we have to learn to make steep, steep turns with the with the jet aircraft because Denmark is a very narrow country. <laughs> so you can't overfly stable. the country. <laughs> Otherwise, you overfly Sweden, and Sweden were not in NATO and all those things. So, so you have to learn that. But I did that, and um, I also um, succeeded to to come up to to the aircraft. I knew uh, the. Electronic art at the Starfighter F-104. So I have uh, been there. I tried to fly two times the speed of sound. And I have been up there where the uh, the sky is, is very dark. <laughs> what is it like to fly two times the speed of the sound? Uh, it is only funny if you're very close to, uh, uh, to the, the clouds. Ground. Yeah, um, you can't really press it up there at the ground. 
because the density of the air is so so thick at ground level that you will that you will uh, the comp compressibility of yeah. the air will increase the temperature several hundred degrees and that and that gives you a warning that slow down slow down so so uh, so high speed you do up uh, the Stafford 104 was uh, uh, we used it as interceptor the Germans they used it as fighter bomber and they they lost a lot of, of starfighters. Hmm. There was a saying in uh, Europe that uh, the most expensive uh, ground in Germany is a place where they haven't had a crash by a starfighter one of four <laughs> because there were so many. And there was there was because of the there's very small wings that when you were in a in a in a bomber uh, maneuver you have to. To, to, to come down and then uh, make a, a, a climb again. And then it go, went through, buffered through the air. And then if you did it too late, you hit the, the ground and it hurts. Yeah. It can ruin, ruin your whole day. <laughs> <laughs> did, the, did the Starfighters have ejection seats? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Martin Baker. Martin Baker. Did you have to go through any, any ejection seat training? Or did you just did know to in, pull that lever? We did that in the uh, United States. Okay. We did that wrote the parachute training and ejection seat. Did they actually launch you out of an aircraft? Like no, 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 no. Okay. They had such a, such a, a slide where we okay. were sitting, and then boom, up that, and then the. Yeah, so like, you still experienced yeah, that. Yeah, wow, the, the acceleration. But but the uh, the parachute training it was uh, uh, after a truck it was they pulled us up in the parachute and then they released us and then we should now now I never and I never jump out from an aircraft I've flown a lot of aircraft where I had uh, uh, SAS uh, soldiers and or you know the the tough guys with them and the, and uh, and threw them out and yeah. I always said to them you crazy. We're gonna land. We're gonna <laughs> land safe. <laughs> I'm staying in the airplane. <laughs> so, no, no. <clears throat> but uh, my career on the uh, Starfighter 104 was only a year. Unfortunately, I had a surgery on my one of my knees, and um, I was at the hospital, and I actually th thought that now the show is over. Mm. But then, uh, then my commander he uh, he came out and visited me, and he said, "Steve, if you're interested, uh, we will let you uh, come over in the transport squadron." And I said, "That would be very nice," and I did that, and I went over to a very fine uh, squadron who were operating uh, all over Europe and all over the Atlantic, up in Greenland, uh, Faroe Islands, or so. So it was a kind of more, I wouldn't say non-military uh, flying, but it was, it was flying non-individual. Yeah. On, on, an, on a transport aircraft, you're a team, you're a crew. And I'm a, I'm a we man. I'm not an I man. Mm -hmm. You know the difference. Yeah. I man, it's, uh, that's only you. 
but I'm a we. I, I like to be in teams. I like to to uh, to be a part. Uh, one of the two, uh, one of the small wheels who you who you have to have because if, if that little wheel doesn't run well, nothing will run well. So so uh, I I like that very much. And I really joined that uh, that period there where I went from the Starfighter and all to the Strasbourg squadron and started flying the old Goonie Bird, the old C-47 constructed before the Second World War. And my goodness, made more of than almost any other aircraft in the world. Really? I think many years after, way up in the 70s, that still the DC-3, the, uh, the C-47, were more aircraft of that type flying than any other aircraft. It, uh, and it's still flying. We, we still have um, some operating here in Denmark by yeah. the friends of the D- DC-3 and so But I, I know all over the world, if you really go out and bushy flying and so the DC-3, uh, it is. Yep. It is some places taken over by the Hercules because it is also a fantastic aircraft. Mm. But but the DC-3 is, is fantastic. That's a lady. Uh, and it was fun to fly. A heavy bastard. No hydraulic, only wire. What? Power. Power. <laughs> so, so I never... You know what do you call it? Uh, wrestling, arm wrestling. Never yeah. arm wrestle. Never arm wrestle with a with a, a, a DC three pilot. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize they were so tough to fly. That's that's incredible. It depends how you fly, but but if you're flying up in uh, Fairy Island in bad weather, oh yeah, uh, uh, you're fighting rescue, with the thing the whole way. Rescue things and so you go down in very tough weather. Yeah, and, uh, and you have to creep into the fjords, and you get turbulence. I have seen uh, cargo rips, you know, those, those straps ripped off like it was just a rubber band. Man, so uh, there's a lot of power in the in the uh, in the air, and so you have to respect that as aviator. You have to be in respect for the nature. It's like fishermen, uh, fishermen in the sea. They respect the nature because it's powerful. It's a lot more powerful than the human being. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's important an important point because I feel like many people, because of course now commercial transportation is just second nature. Everybody flies, you know, and a lot of people just think, oh, airliners fly in anything. You know, it's raining, bad weather. It's okay. They'll, they'll still fly. But I think it's important to remember that, you know, nature is powerful. <laughs> Yeah, and is. sometimes you you simply cannot contend it with it. And, and you see, if people they they are they challenge nature, like uh, we just have a a, a Dane who uh, have um, uh, crossed the Atlantic by a uh, rowboat uh, oh, wow. by himself. Uh, if people they like you said, you have one of you. Your podcast about a person who who were challenged 
the the seven highest peak in the world. Mm-hmm. They have to prepare them for a month, for years, because they know, they know how tough nature can be. And yeah. if you're not playing the rules by the nature, you be the loser. That's for damn sure. And that's yeah. where that's where where accident happens. That when when the aviators they don't respect that. If you see a lot, you hear stories. Oh, we have an aircraft, so and so and so, uh, crashed during landing, mostly landing and so. I I would say that 80 percent bad weather, mm-hmm. bad weather, wind burst, uh, turbulence, whatever. And, they, and and that's that's what I learned in the Danish Air Force, and that's what I learned later, uh, uh, also in civil civil aviation. If you're in doubt, you're not in doubt. You go uh, to your alternative, or you stay out and holding on to the weather is uh, getting better. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's um, that's taught heavily in commercial aviation, but I think it's important for general aviation to really practice that more because it's kind of the wild west you know you have pilots with varying degrees of uh experience and they're making decisions about weather that oftentimes they make the wrong decision um because they just they figure they oh that. it'll be okay this time i can yeah. deal with it yeah it looks so and so and so you yeah. know a regular thunderstorm have more energy uh, than the than the bomb of hiroshima yeah man it is. Uh, it is really. I've seen. Uh, I've seen uh, flight those, those uh, storm riders, uh, those uh, air force who go into, to the uh, eye of the thing. I have seen uh, pictures of an aircraft. I can't remember the time. Was it B fifty two or? And I I can't remember the but but the thing were, were followed by two fighters who were uh, taking picture of it. And then it went in straight in as into a thunderstorm, and when it came out, it didn't have a tail. What? So so uh, so you can see that I have I have uh, with the, uh, the DC DC three because we couldn't like modern aviation modern aircraft you can overfly the things. Yes. In old day, with the DC three, we didn't have radar in it. And we had uh, some time to go down to Sardinia in uh, Mediterranean. We have to go down through. We couldn't go over the Alps because there, there were no pressure cabin, and that means if you go over three thousand, three thousand five hundred feet, you need oxygen. Yeah, and also it is propeller, so the the air is thin and so 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 we went, we went around the Alps. And, and and down uh, to uh, uh, France, uh, in the in the the valley of Rhone, the river Rhone. And down there, I don't know, but I think that they requested those. There were always thunderstorms, always thunderstorms, and we were sitting there, and little by little, because that that uh, squadron had a lot of experienced pilots. You learned to see where where the non-violent places were, so you didn't run direct into the cell. 
of it. But I have seen uh, aircraft uh, by uh, being hit by the the hails, mm. hails as big as golf balls, and it goddamn looked like a one of those cheap uh, sea trains with all the the small holes in, yeah, <laughs> wrinkles in, uh, in it. Uh, it is, it is tough, but today uh, with modern equipment and so. You learn to uh, to circumnavigate. You can you can fly over the the, or the thing. You you operate up in yeah up to fifteen kilometers height with modern aircraft, and so both of economic reason, uh, but also uh, of safety reason, a comfort reason. Yeah, saves saves fuel up higher, but then yeah, like yeah. I said, it's it's smoother. Ah, the colder uh, the better economy. Oh, true. Colder too. Yeah. Finishing up your Air Force career, I'd like to spend a little bit of time on the incident with Scandinavian Airlines as well. Is there a little more that happened before you went into the the civil aviation side? No, I, I had some good times, and so uh, I took my uh, officer degree, theoretical uh, examination, which were uh, mostly based on management on. Uh, human behavior and so and i started uh, being very interested in the uh, in the way human being they they behave mm-hmm. and uh, and also uh, team buildings um uh, resource management and all those things so so i had some good times uh, beside of flying i also had that kind of, of things and uh, i have success with uh, an operation where I'm not flying myself, but I was the, the leader of it, where we uh, where we flew uh, fuel into uh, what do you call it uh, scientific expeditions in the Arctic. Mm-hmm. I I got uh, three uh, crew, uh, two Hercules, and um, and we went up to two layer for space, and our our challenge were to fly as much fuel as possible from Tula Air Force Base, which is an American base uh, in Greenland. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Greenland is part of Denmark and so Yeah. <clears throat> and then we flew it into uh, to Kaptal Molke and uh, also into Station North, which is less than 500 kilometers from the North Pole. Wow. That was really fun, and we succeeded to uh, to make a a record uh, ever a record of uh, of fuel into that. That brought me into a situation where I was in a in a boss uh, or in a, a higher ranking uh, opinion. I was entitled to to be promoted. And so, but my, I'm I'm more I'm more operational guy than yeah than the, and a desk clerk. <laughs> so I said no, and um, he laughed at me. Then I said, okay, then I'll try to go into civil aviation. And he laughed again, and he asked me, do you know how old you are, Steve, Stefan? Yes, I'm 32. Do you know what the limit of, uh, is on uh, coming into to uh, Scandinavian airline system? I said, yes. It's 28. But I have learned from my father that if you want to be king of Sweden, 
you have to make an application and then they will find out if you are good enough for that. <laughs> so yeah, I made the I like application it. and 14 days after, I was the one laughing because I was uh, recruited for first evaluation and uh, only less than a month after, I was sitting up in Stockholm and uh, and flying the leading for, for, for being a pilot in SAS. Wow. Yeah, I like that. You were just like, hey, this is something I want to do. And you, follow you made your, the application. Follow your heart. Yeah. And, and learn to say no. I said in the beginning, I have said more no's than I said yes. But the no's have given me the best time. Yeah. Because another door opened. <laughs> I love that. And I think it's so important just to remind myself and everyone as much as possible, always say no, say as many no's as possible so that you can say yes to the amazing things. Life is not a threat, it's a challenge. I like it. So then you kind of launched your career at 32 in in uh, civil aviation with Scandinavian. Yeah. What was that like, transitioning from military to civil? It was nice, it was good. Uh... It was not the same as as uh, military aircraft. Here you have a commercial uh, drive and so and uh, but you know I was my, my dad he was a he was a businessman so I learned that in civil aviation you don't fly for fun you fly you fly for 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 for, for getting a profit out of it in your company so they can pay your your salary. <laughs> And your employee is your passenger, yeah. Your customer, yeah. and uh, your customer, and, yeah, yeah. And at that time, SAS they had uh, normally you come in, you flew several years as third pilot over the Atlantic and so, and then after fifteen, sometimes seventeen, eighteen years, you became a captain. Wow. But uh, I don't know what happened, but they evaluated us. And uh, in my group there, uh, we were four or five uh, who were told that we should go direct to the DC-9 as co-pilot. So no flying uh, sidewards over the Atlantic. <laughs> so I did that. And um, I was also uh, quite active uh, in the union. Uh, both in in the air force and also in a in a traveling business when I when I was there, and uh, I was I think uh, one of the youngest or with the lowest time in in the company who went into the to the union. Oh wow! And and at that time we got a new boss who turned aviation upside down. He his name was Jan Carlson, and uh, he had some idea about. Taking human, uh, taking our passengers in the center, and 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 let them uh, be the one who were giving us uh, uh, the, uh, the the way we should handle our company. Hmm. And uh, the thing he said, they were they were so much alike. The thing I I work with in the uh, the resorts. Uh, management in the Air Force where uh, after the, the officer education. 
So I said, I want to be in that boat. And we, uh, we started to come up with new ideas and so, and he, uh, he spotted uh, me and my group. And uh, after five years, uh, we got the permit to start a very new thing in SAS called Commuter Operation Division. It was a pilot project and uh, we managed to uh, negotiate into a breakup with all the, the old deals of the the, the unions. Mm-hmm. Uh, think new, think out of the box. And uh, we start, we uh, we were allowed to start that company up. It was it was it was actually, and I still think we had a key to the future. But uh, <laughs> I learned that making new things in an old established company that is damn difficult because they have a list of uh, I think it's uh, 72 or 73 uh, reasons why we can't do that <laughs> but I didn't I didn't care I didn't care and uh, we fought and I found myself uh, suddenly uh, being uh, in going into that company which was established. So after five years, I had the captain stripes on. Wow. So that was a, that was an extreme uh, fast. And there was a lot of guys who were, uh, who had the normally uh, run there in SAS. They, they, it really hurt their ass. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but again, I, 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 I couldn't care less, you know, for me, it was, a, it was the future we were talking about. And I went down, when I was to meeting in Stockholm uh, with, the, with, the, uh, with the planners, with the tops, I went down and said, okay, listen here, we have the chance of the century. Because our new boss, he say, we're going to fly twice as many times with half as big an aircraft. And then I heard it. I held a little pause, and then I looked at them. That means that we are going to make up with that big is the only thing. It doesn't matter if we have five hundred and fifty passengers behind our back, or we have ten. Mm-hmm. It's going to be the same product. It's going to be safe. It's going to be good. It's going to be comfortable, and it's going to be profitable. If we can do that. We can even get more in in uh, in pay, so we we went into a new area, and uh, those years there in the beginning of the eighties, I went into Sasa seventy nine, and it, this year really took place in the beginning of the eighties. We went into be the the, the 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 leading company in the world, punctuality, everything. We even invented SAS invented. A new thing, uh, the, the 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 dividable cabin. Oh, really? To to uh, to to make uh, uh, profitable on different uh, uh, flights and so different yeah. routes. Yeah. And and there were so many things, and everybody around the world they looked up to SAS. We were for many years the most punctuality aircraft in the world. Wow. And that 
That means that the organization really have to have their wheels, wheels, their small wheels, well trimmed mm-hmm. and fast running. Yeah, and that's. I think that's that fun. That was really fun. Yeah. Then after five year, uh, the uh, commute operation division uh, went from a pilot project to be a, a, a commercial or, or a part, a specific uh, company in the company. And then uh, I took the chance to go back. I thought I should have some days with my family abroad so they could learn the world. But they looked at me and they said, you are flying with captains, so you are still a captain, and you go on and fly the MD-80. No question. <laughs> I said, oh, that's okay. And uh, and then I took a, a period where I was uh, borrowed out to Swissair. and flew down in the Alps and, uh, and the, in the area of Mediterranean, and so I had a good time. And then I went, down to, uh, went home to uh, SAS again in uh, summer 92. And then one day I showed up in Stockholm uh, at Christmas time. Uh, I had an all night up there uh, and, and went out. And then I took the Oscar Yankee Kilo Golf Oscar SK751. And I started that and that changed my life forever. Thank you for visiting the Curiosity Shire and listening to today's conversation. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend so they can be a part of this community as well. Music for this episode was produced by John Bentley, Grand Mercy, and Stefan Rasmussen. I'm your host, Seth Sutherland, wishing you all the best until we see you again here in the Curiosity Shire.